Welcome back, friends, to the latest episode of Mind Games with Garen Emig, a production of the Sellout Crowd Network. I'm the host, Garen Emig. Thank you very much for tuning in. Always thank you for reading uh, my content on selloutcrowd.com. That goes for me and my colleagues. We work hard to put things together, whether at games or practices or press conferences, or in this case, uh, podcasts with regard to that forum. We know you have choices when it comes to your content. Gosh knows you have your choices. And we thank you for landing at selloutcrowd.com when you do. Keep following us through this football season and beyond as we start to load up on uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Sooners and Cowboys as they dial up a basketball season. It is November for the moment, and uh, we are still there for a chest deep in football. Things got interesting in Stillwater this past weekend. I was there to cover it for Sellout Crowd, and my guest on Mind Games this week, Chris Vanini, was covering it for The Athletic. So let's dig into Chris's head and see what he thought of the game, the story that he got out of the game, the, the rivalry, the series, whatever you want to call it, its future, and then we'll get into college football and have some fun before we let him let him go. Chris, thank you very much for dropping by, first of all. Yeah, happy to be here, man. It was good to see you on Saturday. It was. We'll talk about Saturday a lot. I've been a, a follower and an admirer of yours for a while. I've read your content for, for a good number of years. But for those who are uh, wondering about Chris Benini, can you can you lay it out for us as to uh, what you do for The Athletic and, and where, where you were before that? Yeah, I have been with The Athletic since 2017 when we launched the college football vertical uh, back in the day. Um, started off kind of covering group of five conferences, but I've now expanded to just general national coverage. I live in Dallas. It's a great place to cover college football from a national perspective because you can get to a lot of places, uh, including up to Norman and up to Stillwater, both of which I made trips for the first time this year. Enjoyed both of them. Uh, before that, I was... Uh, at coachingsearch.com. I ran that uh, with part of that for about five years. And before that, I was pretty much in college. So, <laughs> coachingsearch.nuts, that sounds like it might have been an interesting gig. Coaching search, did that, was it stressful, exhilarating, both, neither? <laughs> yeah, it, it was. Um... It was started by a former coach, uh, covered football coaching transactions when it was okay. that time of year, but also coaching philosophies and kind of the target audience for the website largely was coaches, but a lot of fans and media members liked it. And Stuart Mandel was a big fan of it. So when he yeah. started the athletic college football, he kind of wanted me to bring that in. So that's uh, that's what happened in 2017. So your first trip to Stillwater was for Bedlam on Saturday. You, you picked a pretty interesting weekend. Right. I mean, yeah. So I, I pull into town and I have no phone service. Like this, <laughs> as soon as I get off, as soon as I'm getting into town, and I didn't have phone service all day other than when I was in the press box for the Wi-Fi. And I have right. a friend who, who went to Oklahoma State, went to the game and he said, normally he can sit in the crowd and watch another game on his phone. He, he had never seen it that just intense, crowded that basically shut down the phone service. At least yeah. I had Verizon. So at least Verizon was not working very well there. Yeah. And then you got the game, which was its typical wild self when it comes to this series. Right. I mean, it, it, that part was not unusual at all for those of us who who've invested in covering it for a number of years. The winner was a little unusual. Obviously, the Sooners have had that sort of go in their favor uh, for a century running. But um, I, even even I was was moved and and uh, blown away, for lack of a better cliche, Chris, by the reaction. Um, and I know it was a close game and close games that are decided right at the end tend to, 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 you know, breed that kind of reaction. But, but I was not prepared and I don't think Oklahoma state and Mike Gundy or the players were prepared for what 
occurred on the field after the game, what I assume occurred all weekend on campus and in the community of Stillwater. Um, I, it really was breathtaking. Yeah, well, they should have been prepared because I talked to some fans before the game who said, if we win, we're tearing down the goalpost and we're taking them to Theta Pond. So so uh, at least at least some people had plans yeah. for what was going to happen if, if the game turned out the way they wanted. I didn't know what to expect going in. I mean, like you said, right. Oklahoma has dominated this, this series. The program seemed to be back. However, they were kind of back on a downturn after the Kansas loss and Oklahoma State was on the way up. And, you know, sometimes these things happen very rarely, obviously, the first time in 90 years that Oklahoma State won consecutive games in Stillwater. So uh, quite a way to go out. Yeah. And you um, did something really smart and, and it was a real uh, highlight of, of your, your terrific piece on the game at The Athletic. And you, you followed the goalpost right to the pond mostly i didn't i didn't follow them from when they got taken down because i was down there with you on the field and it was just right. a madhouse to, to even get into the tunnel a later you know, maybe then yeah yeah i went i left the press conference early and went back because i okay. knew where there i knew where the goalposts were because the students are coming down all of us in the media we got to get out through that tunnel where the student section is right, to right. get to the press conference and so it was only going to get more and more crowded so we tried to we all tried to get in there before it got too crowded. Uh, we eventually did. You and I and other people were waiting down there for a while until everybody kind of came off. But as time was going on and someone came through the tunnel and said they tore down the goalpost, and I was like, okay, I think I know where it's going. I'm going to have to keep an eye on that. And so after Gundy spoke to us, um, I was some players and people came in. I was like, I'm just, I'm going to go look for them. I'm, I'm going to take that 15-minute walk over to Theta Pond and see if they're there. And there they were. Yeah, they it were. Was, I guess one of them. Yeah. What was it? Uh, someone in a Barry Sanders jersey was uh, wait, wait had waited in. Is that right? That was that was. Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah. It was already in the water when I got there, sticking right. out. An um, awesome photo to just have it sticking there. And, and some people were like, "They need to just leave it there. You know, it's the last bedlam. Just leave the goalpost there." But eventually, um, it did get pulled out. Dave Wilson at ESPN went there later, uh, later in the night go by it and he apparently happened to get by it right as some people had swam in to pull it out and they took it with them so not sure where it is right now but uh people made some memories man i didn't know that they that they yanked it out of there that night uh yeah I, he posted a video like five in the morning i, didn't see I, I that. think it was yeah so it I, did I come out and I, I, and chris i was back in, in stillwater monday and if, because i'm you know my age and i'm absent-minded i didn't think to go by the pond because i thought well mm -hmm. i bet it's still there I, and i bet they're thinking what you just said you know, monument, it's a, make it a monument. Yeah. <laughs> right. right, as, right. Weird as it is to see a pond in the, a beautiful scenic pond, right. In the, in the, you know, at the heart of, in the heart of campus or at the entry to campus it had this big, you know, yellow piece of steel sticking out of it. That's weird. Unless you know what it means. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, I know that the history of tearing down the goalpost against Oklahoma, I think goes back to like 97, I think it was when they tore it down and tried to, Hit the band, hit the Oklahoma band with it, and that's why the Oklahoma band is up at the top. Somebody told me. Uh, I, I we were debating before the game. We we're like, if they take down the goalpost, how are they going to get it out? Because it's pretty yeah. enclosed there. And so I eventually saw the videos where they went to the, the closed end zone and kind of lifted it up over the wall, took it out the loading dock entrance. So uh, good, in, good ingenuity and in planning to figure out how to get that out. Right, and then Gundy, of course, who's usually on top of his game anyway, uh, uh, at his weekly press conference has the, the comment that, it's, you know, it's too bad someone didn't think to, to tear the thing into pieces and sell them to help fund NIL at, at OSU. <laughs> I, so um, I, yeah. 
maybe someone's thought of that since or the, the process had already begun. But no, man, it was crazy. And again, you're, you don't, as a national writer for The Athletic, you're not, you just said you're not in Stillwater every week. Obviously, you don't see Mike Gundy every week, but for, take it from someone who sees him quite a bit more frequently. I got a kick out of just seeing him stick around and just, you know, chill out, right? For almost an hour, he was in that room. First at the podium, he does a 10-minute opening statement, which never happens. And then after he's done with, with the group and the players start to trickle in with the two coordinators, he sits down unprompted yeah. <laughs> and, and sort of crosses his legs or puts one of his legs up on the, on the stage there, right? And has, has another 30 minutes with whoever wants to listen to him talk. You, you talked about a... Talk about giving away how you really feel, right? I guess is well, what I'm that, that's what we all wanted in the media coming yeah. out of the game. We were hoping, like, excited, energetic Gundy, hey, you won the last Bedlam, talk about how much it means. And he he didn't really want to do that. He was very just calm and in, in what he was on the podium. But as that half hour plus went on, mm-hmm. he started to kind of relax more yeah. and you know, open up a bit more. So we, we ended up getting better quotes out of him later on but uh yeah i was i was i was wondering was he gonna come in fiery and stuff like that like we we saw in the locker room later but uh, uh he tried to stay head coach on but you could tell you mm-hmm. could tell as it went on that how much that game meant to him mm-hmm. as you would expect and and here's where we we try i i anyway have tried to wrestle with you know how to how to feel about you know the future of the series my inclination just in that moment and, you know, out on the field trying to work my way into the tunnel that we're referencing here through the students and fans flooding the field and to, to hear, you know, we are never, ever getting back together on the loudspeakers and knowing the post is going to come down and knowing that it's never going to get that good again. It just isn't. I don't think. It, Boone Pickens State, maybe it is, but since they're not going to play Oklahoma anytime soon, I'm not sure it's going to get any better ever at Boone Pickens Stadium. So I'm thinking, well, this is the reason you can't lose this series. Right. As, I mean, just as a neutral, you can't because this that game and that rivalry, that series produced this moment. But then I thought a little harder over the weekend about, well, I'm seeing it from my perspective and not from Gundy's or uh, Chad Weiberg's or Casey Shrum's the university presidents or any of the fans in that stadium or any of the fans across the state or wherever else, given the hardship of a hundred years and given how good Saturday felt though, I think the way you put it was they let loose a century of pain. That was your term for it in your story. Uh, I, I guess to think of it from that standpoint. Yeah. I, it, that moment on Saturday, that's the reason not to play any longer. If you're looking at it from an orange tinted pair of glasses. If, if you're going to win one, win the last one, mm-hmm. you know, because, because, you know, I kept thinking coming in, I was like, is this going to be like Texas, Texas A&M when it ends? In College Station, and Texas hits a walk-off field goal, and Texas A&M has to live with that for a long time until it turns out Texas is coming into the SEC. Um, and look, you know, th- their explanations are: look, we play nine conference games. The SEC will probably go to nine conference games at some point. It's hard to find room. You don't want to schedule too hard because you still want to make the playoff. Yeah. And we've seen this with a lot of rivalries. I mean, West Virginia and Pitt went like a decade plus without playing after the Big East fell apart, only recently picking it back up now. Penn State pit, a, a lot of those. Um, Nebraska, you know, Nebraska, Colorado finally came back. And, and so it's like, there's just, there's not a lot of room when it comes to football. It's a lot easier in basketball and all these other types of sports. So like, I understand it, but I, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I hate it. Um, I don't think any fans like it. I talked to a bunch of fans before the game and they were like, no, nah, man, this sucks. Like, 
We don't want to. We don't want to stop playing this game. You know, we we want to make the easy drive up to Stillwater and see. I mean, this is the thing with in-state rivalry games. Like this year, I've gone to Texas, Oklahoma, Washington, Oregon, Michigan, Michigan State, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and that Michigan State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State game. When it's an in-state game and you walk around the tailgates, there's so many combined fan tailgates because mm-hmm. everybody has friends who went to Oklahoma State and you went to Oklahoma. And so, like, it's different when it's an in-state rivalry. That's what makes college football special, and it really sucks to be losing that. And I saw a fan who had a sweatshirt on before the game. It said, Bedlam, uh, 1904 to 2023, well, bye. You know, like, that. that's kind of the, that's kind of the feeling. No, everybody's just kind of sad. That yeah. It's ended. yeah, and I, I, I hate to think we've become hardened. We, we have. I hate to think we have become hardened by sort of the, the wheels and the mechanisms and motion that's changed the sport, right? And we, we all know what drives everything now. And I mean, we're not going to get into that necessarily, but we, we still have to feel something about it. And when, um, like when before OSU went to uh, Tempe to play Arizona State back in September, you know, I'm asking Gundy. This con, it's this, you know, that league's going away. I mean, that's we, that's just, it's going to be, a, that's going to be a conference weak. game, too. Like, well, now you're going yeah, to Tem- be going to Tempe more, too. That's not the yeah. same. Yeah. And this was, and Chris, this was before, you know, the Pac 12 caught fire, right? And became sort of the hottest thing in the country. We didn't, we had no idea that, you know, Washington was going to be this good and Oregon was going to be this good and Utah was still going to be a problem and, and wash in Oregon State, right? Um, so, even back in September, I'm like, this, that's a, that's a power five conference that's dissolving. And now we've got Bedlam dissolving. And I, I just hate to think that we're, we're so numb because it's easy to get, it's pretty easy to get numb about a lot of things, not to, you know, broaden this too much, but I'd, I'd hate to think that we're so numb to just the reality of where college football is headed, if not college athletics. And like, well, this is the way it is. We'll just have to well, adapt and move on. I, I'd like to think we're still making time to be a little bit either sad or, or dismayed or frustrated is what I'm, I guess I'm getting at. That's why like when I went into that game Saturday, I knew what I was going to write about no matter the result. Mm-hmm. Like it could have been a blog came one way or the other. I was going to lead the story pretty similarly because I spent a lot of time researching the history of Bedlam. Like when's the, when's your next opportunity to write about the last Bedlam, you know, like yeah. this is, th- that was the story of the game. No matter, it didn't, Big 12 implications didn't matter. Oklahoma's playoff implications didn't matter. Everybody I talked to, it was all about, this is the last rivalry game. That transcends everything else going on in the sport. Rivalries, in-state rivalries. And so, yeah, I try not to become numb to that. I try to mourn when we lose conferences yeah. or lose those rivalries because we need to remember what makes the sport different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bingo. It's uh. It was a reminder, um, kind of a hard, I guess, an unexpectedly harsh one for OU fans. Who, by the way, you'll you'll be even if you're not covering Oklahoma, you know the the attitude of of a, of a blue bloods fan base, right? I mean, one loss is enough for people to, you know, do do I want to wake up and go to work Monday morning? That that kind of thing. And so the the questions continue to surround not uh, not just Brent Venables after back to back defeats, but but Jeff Levy. Um, my argument, Chris, is that the Sooners were kind of who they were when they were seven and oh, they were just doing the things in the margins, so-called to, to win some, you know, tight get Texas being the most obvious example, but even UCF, that was a warning shot, right. Um, coming off the open date after Texas, uh, they just got caught in those margins the last two weeks. And I, I think it's okay to still credit Brent Venables for making things better, which he clearly has 
compared to last year when they went six and seven, while also accepting the fact that people got a little bit too excited, perhaps, about this team's ceiling. I, I, I don't know, again, if you cover Oklahoma closely enough to feel comfortable with a specific or, or detailed comment, but that I'll throw that out as sort of my perception of the Sooners at this point. Yeah, I mean, I've actually covered them three times this year. I've covered their <laughs> games more than anybody else. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I, I'm guess I'm as guilty as that as anybody because I wrote Oklahoma is back after the Texas game. But I, I, I so I went to the SMU game and I came away from that game thinking, eh, I don't know about this team. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I was very concerned about what they were doing in the trenches and running the ball and stopping the run and protecting their quarterback. And I came out of that game thinking, they're not beating Texas unless something dramatically changes um, in the trenches. Mm-hmm. And it did, actually, in the Texas game. But that, but that has proven to be more of an aberration than the norm. Um, they've been very up and down. Kansas was able to move the ball. Oklahoma State was, again, able to run the ball. And so it's it's ultimately the team I think I saw early in the season. Um, mm-hmm. I think you you win a big game against Texas, it's the best win in the country at that point. You know, you get your flowers for that. That's that's understandable. But we knew this was a team that was not going to win the national championship, even if they got into the playoff. So now it's just happened. Now, now you kind of have to deal with that earlier than maybe you would have liked. Yeah. As for Oklahoma State, I caught your uh, your latest podcast with uh, Nicole Auerbach, Power Hour, right, on uh on the athletic network yeah, it's and on the, the until Saturday podcast is, is the name of the podcast power hour is we do it once a week on that feed. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. The um, happy hour portion of the show uh, and folks will appreciate the, 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 the sort of the motif there that you guys have put together. I like, I like that, the, the drink motif, the happy hour portion involved um, OSU winning Bedlam, but also potentially being on track to go play for a big 12 championship. I didn't get the sense you were completely sold on that. That is still, ha- I mean, obviously they still have work to do. They got to win three more games to to sort of control, to literally control their destiny. But um, you 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 think that there's something uh, that something can catch them, uh, whether UCF, BYU, if I've got this right, yeah, or U- UCF, Houston. BYU, and Houston. They they finish with three of the the newcomers. Yeah, and the right. three newcomers, the four well, newcomers, the four yeah, the four newcomers have done very very poorly in the conference this year. So like, there's reason to be optimistic. Oklahoma State controls its own destiny. I just think kind of the history with Oklahoma State, sometimes after they follow a big win over a ranked team, they lose to an unranked team. You know, it's just, it happens sometimes. And this is a team that continues to get better as the year goes on after that two and two start. They're running the ball. They're, they just, they figured things out. It's arguably one of Mike Gundy's best coaching jobs mm-hmm. he's ever done. But two of those games are on the road. And Gundy himself said after Bedlam, like, this is a good team. It's not a great team. You know, they're not just going to walk into UCF and come out with a win. You know, UCF nearly beat Oklahoma a couple weeks ago. So uh, they're they're in a good spot for sure. I just I wouldn't pencil them in yet because three games is a lot. Two of them on the road. A team that uh, we know can lose to South Alabama. Don't take any don't take anything for granted. Yeah. Good but great, I think, goes for both Bedlam teams, I think, this year. And uh, if UCF may have showed that to us uh, most plainly, uh, or for the first time anyway, with regard to the Sooners. Last thing about the Cowboys, Ollie Gordon, is it too, did he get involved in the, in the Heisman Derby too late to even get to New York? Does he have a shot to at least go as a finalist? Where, where are you on Ollie? I have him number two on my oh, ballot yes, right now. then, is he? Last, last two weeks behind uh, Michael Penix. So okay. I think he should be. He's leading the. He, he, despite barely playing the first handful of games, he leads the nation in rushing. His numbers are really good, and if he has a good close to the season, if he if they win the Big Twelve, 
he'll be in that conversation. You know, it, it, a lot of times it comes down. November is going to be like this month is going to change everything about the Heisman race. It, it, you know, you've got so many. It's it's wide open right now, but you've mm -hmm. got so many big games coming. J.J. McCarthy has to play Penn State and Ohio State. Uh, Bo Nix has to play USC, Oregon State. Michael Penix has to play Utah, Oregon State, and Washington State, I think. So, like, there's a lot of big – plus conference championship games, obviously. So there's a lot of big games. This is, to me, I think the race is completely wide open. Mm -hmm. But if Oklahoma State wins out, goes to the Big 12 championship, and Ollie Gordon has a really good performance there, I, I, I think he absolutely mm. can and will be in the mix. That's cool. What, just out of curiosity, where do you have on, on your board Marvin Harrison right now? I think I had him at number three last week. Okay. Normally, I'm very heavy on quarterbacks, but nobody's really yeah. standing out a ton. Like, Jaden Daniels, is, I had last week in the top three. He had a great game against Alabama uh, as well, even though they lost. He's kind of difficult to place when they're six and three, which mm -hmm. is not his fault. But, um, yeah, we've I, 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 had, I had Marvin Harrison number three last week or this week. Interesting. Um, while on the subject of Heisman's, I want to go ahead and you know this, I'm sure uh, there there is still a Lincoln Riley obsession in this state, <laughs> and and we we try not to feed into it too much. Um, did, did they ever did they ever name that that strip of desolate highway on the Panhandle after him? I know it was it was presented in the state legislature last year or two years ago. I, I looked it up. I could not find if it ever ended up. I passing. don't think it did. I, I don't. I, although I was considering, there, I was considering a story. I was like, if they did, I kind of want to like go up there and go write out about there. It. You know, yeah. it'd be a fun story. But I don't mm. think they did it. There are worse pieces of either land or property that have been unofficially named after Lincoln Riley. I, I, I'd <laughs> safe to say it, and Alex Grinch, and unfortunately Caleb Williams as well, based on what happened two years ago. Um, I'm going to go ahead and address this, and then we'll move on. I promise. But did it take, man? Did it take? Caleb Williams crying into his into his mother's arms for Lincoln to pull the trigger on Alex Grinch, or I mean, did it take a did it take a picture of how bad the damage has you know has wrought in that case? I think it took allowing 199 rushing yards before contact. That might have been the final straw, which is an unreal number that happened last week by Washington's running back mm -hmm. alone, Dylan Johnson, almost 200 yards before contact <clears throat> just ridiculous it, yeah lincoln riley made the change he should have made a year ago two years ago you know and as a result he has cost a potential number one pick again the chance at a national championship mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you feel bad I, I like caleb williams a lot when he was here i wish i'd gotten a chance to talk to him but that's that's riley's fault that was the policy and, and we just had to accept it did mr i think on one of the most interesting personalities not just players to, to come through riley's uh, program um, people have been open to that personality since it showed a different side after the game Saturday. Do you feel, do you feel bad for, for him or is it hard to feel bad for someone who's making his NIL money and has a, has a Heisman on his case already? No, I feel bad for him. I, yeah. I mean, I think it was notable, especially it came after one week after one of the talking heads said Caleb Williams would shut it down and not play the rest of the season, protect himself. And I, I think everybody kind of found that notion ridiculous. And I think what Caleb Williams did against Washington to play that well, to come up short to be completely sad about it was uh tough to see you know yeah. you feel bad for him he, right. he, he's a guy who's still playing through it carrying this team on his back really and and this will be two years in a row they most likely don't win the pac-12 won't make the playoff and uh for a guy who's accomplished a lot and clearly wants to win at the highest level that's tough you know it's, it's important to remember these these are college kids that are 19 20 21 years old you know and uh yeah no i, I did feel bad for him 
Yeah. If there's still, Chris, a scenario where Oklahoma plays USC in the Alamo Bowl, there's there's no way they're going to play Caleb Williams in the Alamo Bowl, are they? I mean, he's not going to play. I, I don't think so, but I was, you know, I covered the Cotton Bowl last year and they played Tulane, and there was talk that Caleb Williams might not play that game. Okay. Either. He ended up playing, and he ended up playing, right, like, right. playing very, very well. They end up losing. Uh, so, but I would be surprised if Caleb Williams played a bowl game this year. I got you. Um, if this um, if this were two weeks ago, I would have spent the majority of time talking about uh, the playoff situation because the Sooners were still very much <laughs> obviously a player um, back then or would have been a player. Fact is, now with two losses, same as Oklahoma State, they're in the teens in the rankings. I if This is a 12-team year. I think we're still having a lot of discussion about uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State for that matter in the playoff. But as it stands now, we're uh, – we in Oklahoma, I think, are sort of just passive spectators at the reveal and, you know, the discussion. Again, I caught you what you and Nicole went over earlier today. Um, the fascinating thing to both of you seem to be, again, the one, the one loss log jam. Is that where things are really intriguing for you? Yeah. And by the way, 12-team playoff next year, that's why it's going to be a lot more fun. Right. Because instead of, because instead of 10 teams, 9 yep. teams being in the mix right now, yep. it would be 20. That's, that's right. going to be fun. No doubt. Um, but yeah, you've got Oregon as a number as the top one loss team at number six, followed by Texas, followed by Alabama, followed by Ole Miss and Penn State. And you know, Greg McElroy from ESPN made some really good points on the show of like, look, Alabama's beaten some really good teams, or at least some very, very solid teams, while Oregon has beaten Utah and that's it. Their next best win is Colorado, Washington State. So you could make the case that Oregon should be behind Alabama and maybe Texas, both of them as well, because Texas beat Alabama. But I, I think that and the fact that there are so many big games, like these rankings, the next final four weeks of this regular season are going to be ridiculous. You've got Georgia playing Ole Miss, Tennessee, uh, Georgia Tech, Oregon's got USC and Oregon State, uh, Washington's got, again, U Utah. Oregon State and Washington State, Michigan's got Penn State, Ohio State. Like, yeah. there's just a lot of big games, and these rankings are going to completely blow up here pretty soon, which is going to be fun. Yeah, I, I know this much. I followed the reveals this much. Um, there has been a dodge or a sidestep. May dodge may be too uh, too strong a word, unfair, but obviously a, a sidestep um, when the questions come to Boo Corrigan the chairman of the committee, and as well as Bill Hancock with the CFP about Michigan and what they're dealing with. Uh, you're, you didn't expect them to address that, I take it, or do they need to be a little bit more transparent about how they view Michigan, given what, what's going on with the, the sign stealing and Harbaugh and all that stuff? I mean, they, they've said the same thing two weeks, which is it's an NCAA issue, not a CFP yeah. issue. And, and you can make the case like it's the same idea with James Madison, which is 9-0. and but not eligible for a fully eligible for a bowl game this year as a transitioning FCS team. So they're not in the CFP top 25 because the NCAA, they're saying, hey, it's the NCAA's call. They're not eligible. We're not going to include them. If the NCAA says Michigan is not eligible, then we won't include them. But until then, we're going to include them. I, had, I have more of an issue with Michigan being at number three <laughs> based on who they played compared yeah. to actually them being in it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think any. I I don't see any way Michigan is not allowed into the playoff if they win out. You know, I, I don't see the NCAA Big Ten CFP stepping in and saying no. Um, Harbaugh might get suspended, but I don't think anything's going to stop the team from playing. Would they? Would, would you think they they delineate between a suspension 
a regular season suspension or a playoff suspension if the Wolverines were to get in, in, in Harbaugh's case? Or is it more likely that's going to be a first four games of next season type thing? Uh, what? Well, it's, it's NCAA decisions are going to take a while. It's not going to happen right. for a while. They'll make a determination that Michigan will have 90 days to respond. So the NCAA side of it, not getting resolved for a while. All that's up for discussion is the Big Ten. And if Tony Petiti does something, by the time people are listening to this, it may have happened by now because it may it may happen late Wednesday or early Thursday yeah. to be determined. So it could be two games, which the commissioner has the ability to do on his own, which would allow him to play against or coach against Ohio State. If it's more than that, you got to get like a committee in the conference involved. So yeah. either way, I don't see them stopping Michigan from playing, being ineligible in anything. Um, the NCAA in general is trying not to punish players and do postseason bans anymore i know oklahoma state basketball fans are going to chime in and say look what happened to oklahoma state basketball that is the that is the last yeah situation like that we're going to see tennessee didn't get a bowl ban kansas didn't get a tournament ban they're not doing that anymore yeah yeah i still you talk about feeling sorry for somebody to connect that that sentiment to caleb williams i'm I'm forever going to connect that to to the that oklahoma state team that got robbed of a postseason mike boynton for that matter is the head coach but that's another show, Chris. Um, I don't call. I haven't followed the Wolverine saga, the Harbaugh saga, the Connor Stallion saga as closely as you and other national writers have. Are is there any fatigue with that, or are you perpetually fascinated by this? I'm fascinated by it. Okay. It is one of the funniest scandals we've ever had. <laughs> we just we just hit the we just hit the stage where we found out he was sued by an, by his HOA because of a vacuum cleaner refurbishing business out of a sketchy home in an LLC. Like, like what is this? And and there's like, no, nobody's like, nobody's hurt here. You know, like it's not a compared to a lot of the scandals that have been going on in the big 10 for the last number of years. Yeah. This is, this is very low level stakes, no doubt, uh, which is what makes it so funny and so enjoyable. We still don't know for sure who that mystery man was on the sideline for Central Michigan, Michigan State. That's right. And Sibley is now involved in that. The fact that Central Michigan has not said, hey, no, that's Johnny. He works for us. I think you can infer who that probably that was. was. Yeah. So, yes, this is incredibly funny. Uh, um, I, I still can't hear the guy's name without laughing. And I, that's that just that too. I'm a, you know, I'm a five-year-old in that way. But I, I, can't, I can't help it. I will always crack up over the fact that that's, if that's not a made-up name, he should have said it was, and then you earn, earn points for coming up with such a brilliant. Now, I wish I'd use that as my pen name once upon a time. So that kind yeah. of thing. Um, all right. Exit questions with Chris Vanini of The Athletic uh, on the show. You're good with me letting everyone know that uh, you, you're a Michigan State grad. So I was going to give you a chance to let our listeners slash viewers know who Michigan State should hire as the next head football coach. Yeah, you know, they're starting to move forward on that search now. It's been open for a long time, obviously, but you kind of wait till the later half of the season before you start doing interviews. It appears they're getting to that stage pretty soon. If I could pick one person for Michigan State to hire, I would go with Lance Leipold at Kansas. To, to me, he is the steady hand that that university needs right now, mm-hmm. very much in the Mark D'Antonio mold. He has won everywhere he's been. We've seen what he've, he's done at Kansas very quickly. I feel like he just fits that. He's from Wisconsin, Midwest guy. Like I, I, I think there's a lot of good fit there. The other 1A, 1B option I think would be Mike Elko at Duke, who has turned that program around very quickly, who has recruited at the highest level at Texas A&M, and uh, who would, again, fit, I think, the personality of what Michigan State is trying to be, which is 
an overachieving program in a conference of Michigan, Ohio State, and the like. The problem yeah. is, if Texas A&M opens up, does Mike, do they want Mike Elko? You know, so that's the hard thing to predict with the carousel is what other jobs open up, what domino effects happen. Is Jim Harbaugh still there? You know, who knows? So we'll see. But you know, Michigan State's a program that two years ago won eleven games. You know, they're a lot like Oklahoma State. You know, the 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 one B team in the state to to the big flagship school and uh, always kind of fighting from underneath. And so I look at what Leipold has done. I look at what Elko has done. I think both of those guys would be great fits. I, I'm a Kansas grad since you were uh, oh, transparent. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's all right. Since you were transparent about your alma mater, I can be as well. I, I can't believe I'm having to say that there, there would actually be a decision for a KU football coach to, to not take a, a, a Big Ten job. And yet, because of what Leipold has built, the commitment supposedly to get the stadium redone and, you know, all that yeah. stuff in Lawrence and the, you know, the, just the, t- the work he's had to put into getting it where it is now combined with the fact that things have been a little bizarre in Michigan state, right. With that across the board, um, there's, yep. they've, they've taken some wrong turns. You again, would know more about that than I would, but I think we've all been privy to some of them. Um, it's weird that it would even be a decision, but I, I guess it would be if, if it came to that for a guy like Leipold. Well, there's, there's two ways to look at it. One, you know, Kansas, um, you can win the new Big 12. You know, there's no reason you shouldn't be one of the higher up teams in that conference and contending for the playoff coming out of that, as opposed to the Big 10, where you've got USC, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, you got to contend with uh, every year. So that'd be one reason to stay. One reason to leave would be, hey, who knows what's going to happen to college football? Uh, it's good to have a, a seat in the Big 10 you know, one of the top conferences that could determine whatever the future of the sport is. And uh, we know, I know Kansas obviously just gave Bill Bill Self the new big contract that may open up some more space to hire, or I'm sorry, to to give Lance Leibold another raise. I mean, he's got a $6 million buyout too. So Michigan State will have to pony up a lot of money Mm -hmm. if they want to hire him. Um, But some people say, look, big 10 SEC job, like if you got to take it, if if one's available, some people say you just, you got to take it because you never know what the sport is going to do. For sure. Uh, you mentioned Fisher. You think he's in serious trouble or hard to, hard I, to say? I, right I now? do. Yeah. I know his buyout's something like $70 million. Um, but whether it's this year, whether it's next year, whether it's $65 million or $70 million, what's the difference? If you don't think he's the guy and you think you know who is the guy, hmm. at one point, do you just rip off the Band-Aid and figure out how to pay that buyout over decades you know so it's doable it's not like he's going to get 70 million dollars up front yeah maybe you do one of those like was it bobby Benilla? one who the guy who was oh, the bobby baseball Benilla. player yeah but yeah the, the contract that he still gets paid for it like i don't yeah. know maybe they come up with something like that for jimbo yeah. uh to pay him in perpetuity yeah uh but yeah it's 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 not good he's not he, his record there is worse than kevin sumlin's so they're not happy <laughs> but he may get another year yeah yeah, Michigan State wouldn't hire Urban Meyer, right? I mean, you can you want to clear that up. There's no way that's. I mean, no. that's okay. I, it's 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 a popular thing among fans and certain insiders and whatever, but it just makes zero sense whatsoever to me when you consider what the school has gone through yeah. as it relates to uh, women and yeah. uh, stuff like that to hire somebody who just you know had a had Zach Smith on his staff for a long time. Like you remember, like people got to remember why he left Ohio State. You know that whole thing, and then he goes to the Jaguars, and he allegedly kicks a player. Like it's a, it's it's not it's not 2017 anymore. Like college football is completely different, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't think Urban Meyer would make much sense as much as a lot of fans want it. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, either at the athletic or with in your time at coachingsearch.com, strangest search you've either covered or been been associated with, or what 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 pops into your head when I ask you for the the weirdest one? Is there one that's that's there, there was a, that's to tell? I won't say the school. I won't say the school. But there was a group of five school that one time where the AD just looked up who is running the most plays, uh, found it, and said, "I want to hire the offense coordinator of that team," <laughs> and the coach. Was not even didn't even apply for the job. Got got contacted by the school for the job. Got the job. Got fired a couple. I don't know if he got fired or left, but didn't win much. Was gone in a couple years. Sometimes the searches are as simple as that. Believe it or not. And here we are complaining about the wasted money that are search firms, and then and, and an athletic director goes and does this. Yeah, that so. was a weird one. Cautionary tale. Uh, play number of plays, not yards, just plays, or with, with just wanted someone who ran a really up tempo offense because that's of what plays. the school was doing. Oh wow! Now you've got my mind racing. Okay, leave us. We'll leave us in suspense. Um, okay, last thing. Uh, the the one thing that that um, didn't make it out of the 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 pandemonium for you on the field at OSU was your watch, your wrist wristwatch. Any yeah, any chance that has been recovered? From it was not. No, yeah, I just had a regular smartwatch, not like an Apple watch, but just like a cheaper version of that. Um, somehow it slipped off, popped off during uh, while we, you and I were trying to get through the crowd to get to the tunnel. I didn't even notice till I sat down in the press room. I was like, oh, I don't got my watch. Never went back out and looked, did not find it. I did order a new one a couple of days ago. It should be here. Okay. Soon. We don't have a, you know, we're, we're just, we're selling crowds just getting going, Chris. We don't have the reach. That, Go, Look, was, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe it's at the bottom of Theta Pond too. I, I don't. Know. <laughs> I was gonna say if, if if you know if this thing were to if the if mind games were to explode in a couple of years, I'd have you back on, and you'd actually have an audience where you could describe the the watch and maybe get someone with a kind heart. To, oh, I know where that is, but you're it's it's good. You're good with it. You're it's not. Yeah, it okay. was not. It was not very expensive. I will survive. Very cool. Chris Vanini was at Stillwater for in Stillwater for the Bedlam game, the one the Cowboys beat the Sooners. In 27 to 24, he wrote about it. You really ought to read his piece if you haven't yet at theathletic.com. It is it is superb. Read everything he writes. Uh, he does a terrific job. Has done a terrific job now since 2017. 17? Got that right? Yes. With The Athletic. Yes. Good good deal. Um, we got that down. So big thanks to Chris for coming on Mind Games this week. As always, uh, we want to thank everybody back uh, behind the curtain for doing a nice job. Jacqueline Musgrove and Michael Lane. Jacqueline's our producer. Michael, our creative director. Please download, like, subscribe, do what you want. Just make sure you listen or tune in, watch YouTube, Spotify, Amazon, Apple, my show, and others from my colleagues at selloutcrowd.com. This is Garen Eming wishing everyone a pleasant week. Come back next week for another episode of Mind Games. 